Jeez. That that ruined it, dude. Which it's ah. Okay. What was that? <laughs> Well, welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, This is Kyle. I don't actually like Brent, apparently. I'm Nick. I hate everything. Uh, And I'm Brent, and I don't hate anything, so (laughs) I'm in out. This is If I May, episode 16. Let's go. Is it 16? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Let's go. 16. We we can drive now. Yeah. Vroom, vroom. I just want episode episode 22 so we can, like, put in a Taylor Swift clip. I'm feeling 22. We'll we'll get there eventually. Like I'm sure. Song. <laughs> what, what was? Uh, who who is it that always uh names her albums after her age? Um, Adele. Adele. Yeah. What Adele. was what was her first one? Sixteen. I don't know. Was it? I I don't, it was one of the teens, I think. Anyhow, um, Zarbo's news. Uh, we might be getting. We will likely, hopefully, be getting a new logo soon. Very exciting. Uh, one of uh, my... I hate it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> yeah? You don't like the three monkeys that we just kind of uh, grabbed and edited and splashed together into a, even, a thing? If I may, if I may, Nick, tell us how you really feel. If tell I may, full access, I, I don't even know what logo we're changing to. I just, I hate everything. We're keeping with the theme. Why There's no we, reason for this whatsoever. I'm just in a mood. Let's talk about this. He's angsty. Yeah. He's dressed in black and... This is therapy now. This is like, let's just. Are you having everything a Spider-Man three moment? How are you feeling, Nick? Tell us, tell us about your life. Oh, I'm great. Just fantastic. You know, when you go from being on like for nine hours straight, and granted, I, I know working nine hours isn't isn't that bad. Nine hours straight, nothing strenuous. People do it all the time. People do it, you know, five days a week more uh, in much harder jobs than I have. But the emotional drain of, uh, you know smiling and everything's perfect and perfect articulation and great presentation style and never stuttering and never having your ums and you knows and you like like it was like um you know it was this thing we had it going on and you know how uh, how the thing happens and like like um um you like the thing happens and then and then we do our thing and it's it's great if i may if i may just to all of our listeners nick is getting this out now because he cannot do this during the nine hours of the day so if you hear a lot right. of ums and likes and that from nick give him a break this week <laughs> yeah just this well, week yeah and any other week give him as much crap point, as you want the whole point is you have to like consciously like think about like not putting like in your sentence so i think i've gotten better with go like being, i definitely do the ums a lot generally people have a standard thing comfort item oh it has something to do if i may the dead space if i may there was a reporter that i was watching on tv once this was a couple years ago and her filler thing was just a ridiculously long thing it was something to the to the something similar to do you know what i'm saying it was some, it was it was a phrase for her filler thing. So she she yep. was uh, showing people around a RV. There was like an RV camper show or something, and she was going around showing the different parts of the RV. And she'd be like, and she'd open the uh, bathroom. This is a very nice bathroom. You know what I'm saying? And look at this toilet. If you know what I'm saying, it was it was a phrase as her filler, and it was just so bad. It was so distracting. That would be absolutely hilarious. What, what's the worst? I'll make filler? one random. The worst filler. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what filler you use. The worst thing that happens is when someone is listening, they tune out to whatever you're saying, no matter what it is, no matter how important it is. If you have a filler, almost inevitably, the majority of the listeners, as soon as they notice it, will not be able to focus on anything you're saying and will start counting the number of times you say like, or you know what I'm saying, or um, or uh, whatever whatever it is, they will start counting the number of times you say it, and they will not be able to understand what you're saying because it, it's that irritating. So the one random plug, if I may, uh, if I may, if which I, may. I have no so no, you may not. I'm getting my random plug in. This is the one <laughs> positive so thing I'm doing this whole stupid episode. This week. I am. I'm not feeling your crap. God. God. All right. Anyway, um, the the one positive thing I, I will share is 
Toastmasters. It's a, a group of people who get together to become better communicators, to become better speakers. And they address things like the fillers, like pausing, like stutters, uh, any and all of those items uh, any- that cause people to struggle with speeches, uh, hand motions. I, I just watched a number of executive training videos where the CEO, CFO of the organization is standing in front of you recording a video and every six seconds he made the same hand motion. I took off my headphones, did nothing but watched him give his presentation and I just mimicked my hands doing what his hands were doing and said, look everybody, I'm a CFO. <laughs> it was it was absolutely horrible. Um, but Toastmasters is a program and they have chapters uh, throughout the country is my understanding. And they help people with their their presentation skills. And I think there's a great networking opportunity with whatever else they do. I don't know what the cost or anything else uh, associated with it is. But if anyone's ever struggling with their speaking notes, uh, Toastmasters is something that would be potentially very is that beneficial. Like a YouTube to look channel into. or something like that, where that. No, this is a this is like a an organization that helps people with public speaking that you know meets monthly or something and they are nationally recognized this is this is something if you're a member you can put it on your resume and it will be fairly uh, highly respected uh, i don't know if they have a, an entry cost that's a barrier or what but toastmasters i've heard of a few times in my life i won't say career because it came up in high school even but it's it's something that helps people with public speaking and their techniques and how to be, how to, how to best present yourself and the information you're attempting to relay. So uh, that will be my one positive input for the rest of this podcast. Brent, <laughs> uh, the podcast is all <laughs> I, I heard three times you said it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't really care. Um, that was me. Um, three times in a uh, six minute monologue. <laughs> Three times in a six-minute monologue. Why did I say six rather than five? I don't know. We're not going to worry about it. Five point three four. It doesn't matter. It whatever. It can. I'm just. I'm Josh. Um. I actually noticed too. Uh, I believe you're Brent, if I may. So if I do, I will not. I will not. I will not have you sully Josh's name. So as I do, um, my podcast, uh, uh, this week in nature, I noticed that. I always talk really slow and I, I don't and it's I think until you record yourself and actually spend a good amount of time seeing what you do it's really hard to work on different talking points because I do a lot of breaks I do talk slowly and kind of think out when I talk so it's one of the things that I've just from doing this podcast and doing a different podcast I like you kind of pick up on that there's always a lot of public speaking thing to work on. Well, there's an organization organization that actually thinks. Brent, are you? Do you nice. Are you like? Is your internet okay? You're like cutting in now a little bit. At least you are. Am I right now? Well, not it, when when you're in a long string of talking, you'll cut in and out a smidge. Could be it. I need a clip. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> did, I shouldn't be. I did notice it, but I'm on hotel internet, so I don't necessarily trust my connection. <laughs> Fair. I, that's strange to me because I don't think anything's different. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe it's not pauses. Maybe my internet's bad. My <laughs> mic is bad. Well, if you're just recording your own, <laughs> I am blaming. I'm a perfect public speaker. I just have bad technology. Yeah, the ums you hear, those that's are just internet glitches. Yeah, any any weird noises is actually just myself. I've, I've seen you. I've seen you present in front of children for different nature camp related events. Not gonna lie. My number one thought while you were presenting, this guy just needs a better internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I'm out in the wilderness, I have to, uh, if I don't have 3G or 4G, it's it's done. It's, yeah, you're just over. You're I mean, these kids are trying it. so hard. These kids are trying so hard to learn about, about nature and everything this, this Yahoo has to share and his fancy outfit and his scout hat and everything else that he's got going on, but... They're they're sitting there trying to tune in their very best, and every other word is nature. Well, you see, the thing that gets me is I buffer a lot too. I have a lot of these buffering things where I'm going, I'm going, and go. Careful with those dirty words. 
And then I just keep going after that, and then it pauses like that. It's the silliest thing. Uh, in, um, in middle I guess, school, oh, if I may, in middle school, my uh, German teacher, her filler was okay. So she'd say something and be like, okay? And uh, we would just say okay back. <laughs> it was the most disruptive thing ever. She'd be like, uh, if I may. Okay. Be, okay. <laughs> we'll start if I may, I, I really don't think Toastmasters or any other speaking organization can touch a, a language barrier. I, I understand that, yeah, when you're learning language and English is your second language, you're going to have some issues with speaking. And that's that's kind of the ultimate mastery is if you've learned another language and get fluently and present in that language. But yeah, you're going to run into all kinds of people who speak two languages, but still have some sort of mechanism, uh, comfort thing with respect to what it is they say. So that's, that's, I wonder if they have different ones depending on which language they're speaking. You know, if if you're bi or trilingual, if when you switch languages, you switch what filler words you use for that language. I will bet that more often than not, the filler word you use is in your native tongue. Because you're used to using a filler in your own language, and it's how your brain processes things. At least, um, quick question for, for everyone. What language did you take in high school? I know we were all in the same school system. Why I took language? no languages in high school. I took two years of German in middle school. And because I took zero languages in high school, primarily because I was part of the Tesla Engineering Charter School, uh, I ended up taking two semesters of German in college. Okay, so you took German in middle school, though. Yes. Somebody's okay, clicking, Brent. by the way. I heard... Um, I'm not allowed to make speech errors, so I'm fidgeting, which is sad to do when you're on camera, but you're right, it's clicking. I I did French, not that I ever was any good at it. On doit français. Oui. I, I, also took, français. <laughs> I also took German. Um, in ah, middle school, I, thought I, I thought you were a Latin guy. Uh, well, yes. In, in middle school, I took two years of German, and my classmates were absolutely ruthless to this poor teacher who taught us German. And I, I, I was dirty-minded in school, just every other young boy. But for whatever reason... Um, this German class just abused this poor teacher. She'd bring in different physical items that would, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go too dirty into this, this podcast. She'd what bring is she in bringing to class? <laughs> she'd bring in really simplistic items, you know, a cup, a spoon, uh, a pickle, a whatever. And the pickle was always a hot item for the boys in the class give the teacher a really hard time about and the teacher clearly it, I'd put her in the category of my fiance not capable of a dirty thought if she tried like it's just like it doesn't process past her brain and this the teacher was the same way like they just not that if you explain it to them they wouldn't get it but they never think of this horrible dark side of the world that <laughs> I live in but yeah, that was just when uh, emojis port- and stuff were coming out on the uh, T9 and so when, you, when yeah, you're sending this, the this would would hold on to this pickle and be so excited because everyone <laughs> knew that Die Gurkha <laughs> was pickle in German and had no idea why everyone <laughs> was laughing and so excited why the teacher loved the pickle. It was it was so bad. So a couple it's things so just you, you spiked my uh, memory of German class in middle school, and a couple things is number one uh, our. Uh, German teacher, she'd have like prizes for people if you did something right or got something correct or, you know, spoke, asked her a question in German when you weren't like, if you just went up to her and started speaking German to ask a question without being asked to, you know, you'd be like, oh, good job. So like one of the things that she would offer are these stickers of little mice. I forgot exactly what they were called, but it was, it was like stickers of mice and they were like the cutest things. And I was like, these are awesome. Like, so I'd always pick those. I later found out that these mice are considered like a girly thing by like somebody from Germany. Like somebody from Germany came over and they're, and I was like, yeah, I got all these stickers. And they're like, Oh yeah. Typically the girls in German are the ones that have those stickers. And I was just like, Oh, 
<laughs> I thought they were the coolest thing. The second Burn. thing, yeah, right. The second thing oh. I uh, remember ve- very vividly about German class is we took a field trip to, uh, like a German festival thing in Milwaukee, uh, one weekend, and I went. We went there, and it was actually it was a bunch of different uh, nationalities. It wasn't just German, but I, was, I think it was primarily German. But uh, there was some German chocolate there, and so I got this massive bar of German chocolate, like no joke, like two feet by half a foot at something like that. Like it was at least two feet long and it was the correct ratio for a candy bar shaped rectangle. And then you, you, and then when you open it up, you could like break off pieces that were, you know, fairly standard bite sized. But me mm-hmm. and one of Brent and I, our buddy, Alan, uh, who was also in the, my German class, were walking around the fair, like fair area. It was all indoor. We were like eating these chocolates and we go by and there was like, there was two girls, I don't know where they were from, like Switzerland or something like that. Uh, and they had their own little like booth. Like they were in, in uh, traditional outfits for their uh, nationality. And we stopped by the uh, their booth. We were walking around. I was like, hey, you want some chocolate? And they're like, no, we don't like chocolate. And I remember distinctly saying, what's wrong with you? And like not thinking it through. And then Alan grabs me. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like pulling me away from them. And then I was like, no, I want to say sorry. <laughs> like I didn't actually mean it that way. But it's like, oh yeah, probably not. Like, yeah, it, it was a middle school that, thing to do. Just got like, what's wrong with you? You don't like chocolate? That just earned me an extra level of respect for Alan. boy. Yeah. <laughs> he just pulled me away from them. <laughs> Like, a boy. And I was that's, like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, I mean, it, like, I didn't fully understand it right away. But then, like, a minute later, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I, like, I get it. Like, I meant it as a joke, but so because after- they were foreign, they might not have gotten that as a joke or, you know, picked up on. Because a lot of times uh, uh, foreign exchange students or, you know, people from other countries don't get American humor, that kind of thing. Plus, that wasn't exactly the best thing to say in that situation for, on my part. Funny joke. Way to, just, way to just be the one source of tension between America and Germany, Kyle. It wasn't Germany, the only though. one. <laughs> Nothing has ever happened between these two countries. No. That one instant. Those two are going to remember that. Like one of them, those two will remember back, one of them go into politics and then be like, oh, I remember that American. Yeah, it was future ambassador status. After, uh, why we're at war with them right now, I think. We're I, not at war with Germany. We're, we're not at war with Germany. <laughs> okay. At I'm any rate, kidding. after two years of German, uh, which were an interesting experience, and I, again, felt absolutely horrible for that uh, poor teacher, I did go to high school, and there was an option for German, but I really didn't like it, and I especially didn't want to be surrounded by the same kids who, you know, um, you know, really kind of hindered my experience. Not that I would have, you know, loved German otherwise. It wasn't something easily to me. And most of my academic career did come easily. So I'm like, well, screw this. I don't want to work hard. But I did have the option to take Latin. And yes, Brent, that's where you're aware that I, I have some Latin experience. And that's helped my spelling and my understanding. I remember that. Significantly. <clears throat> I think they had Latin in our high school too. And it was one of those things where it's like, it can be useful depending on what kind of field you're planning on going into. Like Brent, for your wife, yeah. who's a doctor, that would probably make a little bit sense to take Latin. Absolutely. But honestly, I mean, what would be more beneficial for her Latin or Spanish for potentially dealing with Spanish patients? Cause that's like the second most major language in the United States. I think she's, she's um Spanish people almost every day. So I think Spanish is probably more useful because you can always pick up the Latin. Yes. So she's fluent in Spanish. So that's been really helpful uh, working with her patients because um, there's a lot of weird translate, like trying to translate stuff is kind of a pain, I guess, in the hospital. You have to call the service who then they send a translator and then you're pretty much third party, having a third party into the circle, making a kind of relationship even more. So if you can speak the same language as the person, it makes a big difference. I'm sure that helps make her very more, much more employable besides the fact that she's also like likely an awesome doctor. The same, the same thing though, is that she sees not only Spanish speaking people, but she's had surprisingly in Seattle, a lot of people from Africa. I don't remember exactly what country, but I guess she deals with a lot of people 
that are from Africa that speak um, <laughs> one of the the lang many languages there. So trying to figure out those where there's only maybe one or two or three translators across the country trying to call in for that patient is, I guess, kind of a hassle at times. Thank you. Thank you for being a, a an intelligent American, by the way, on that one. And I only started laughing because I know, at least based on everything I've seen on, on the TV internet, which makes it, of course, 100% true that oh, if absolutely. you say, oh, yeah, they're from Africa, but I don't know what country, you, you just proved you, you were a lot smarter than a lot of people because you just be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're from Africa. What country? Africa. Or what? Or no, I'm not Africa sure. Is from not a country. Oh, so with Africa and speaking of uh, being really mean to teachers, uh, one of my high school teachers, Mr. German, I apologize for my class, but he, when we were in in high school, he, I don't know if him and his wife couldn't have kids, but they ended up adopting. I think they have three now. They have. I don't know if they're all from the same country, but they ended up adopting a kid from Ethiopia. And one of the kids in our class, uh, Paul, I won't throw his last name out there, but uh, he nope. decided it would be hilarious to make a joke about his uh, uh, Mr. German's uh, adopted child speaking click like the Ethiopians. <laughs> so whenever there'd be a time in class, like, like for example, during a test, he'd, Paul would be like going through his test and get to a hard question and be like, what the? And then just like <laughs> click or like, ah, <laughs> like do like clicking noise in, instead of like swear words and it was hilarious but it was one of those things where like in hindsight it's like yeah that's not the nicest thing to do so insensitive horrible well and, and they could, I, I can you could have done it to a nicer teacher too right that's the worst part yeah that, that guy was can, good, I can uh, compete for teacher abuse the the German teacher I was discussing I, I felt horrible for her, but the one the one that I, I to this day feel just awful about because I ended up learning more about him later. There was a a music teacher, uh, Mr. I think his name was Bachman. Um, yeah, he's a, a wonderful man. Uh, I, I married and he there had a daughter with special needs or he had adopted someone with special needs. But the dude, the dude tried so hard and uh, the class I, I grew up with, as I stated with the German teacher, was absolutely ruthless in, in so many ways. And this, this guy was a music teacher. And, okay, you're thinking music, but he had to teach the boys' choir. And he got the freshmen, which the freshmen were the rowdiest ones. You still had the people who were just trying to get grades and mess around and didn't really care about the quality of music. But North actually had a very good music program under uh, Mr. Ahmet. Mr. Amit was a, a, a cool guy, quote unquote. Uh, he was like an, an internationally ex, uh, respected like quarterback coach and was very good. He, he liked to, to have us sing a mix of modern music that we appreciated and respected and also mix in only one or two artistic pieces. Now, like most music teachers, Mr. Bachman stuck to the, the old classics, the something really artistic that no one in the class had any appreciation for whatsoever, which was the majority of the problem. But this guy got, got tried so hard to, to get us to sing. And we have singers in the group who were, were fine, but it's, it's, it's a boys choir. There are more than, more than like 40 of us in this class. Not it's a men's choir, a boys choir. Well, when you're a freshman, you're the boys. Yeah. Choir. yeah. Until you, when you, when you make level. it to junior, senior, okay, then you can be the men's choir, whatever, but we'll call it the boys' choir for now. But it was it was like 40, 40 kids in there, and I'm putting myself in the kids' category. That's that's what we were. And it took three to five kids to just take an entire class off the rails. There were entire days that we didn't sing a song, and he tried so hard to, to keep us interested. He tried so hard, and the uh, – the, the director of the, the men's choir had to come in on multiple occasions and try and straighten us out and that we'd be, you know, straight for you know two days and then everything would just go back to hell. But it, I felt so bad for the guy. And I ended up being a direct part of, of the torment uh, unintentionally. I'm, I'm a, a good arguer. I am one who enjoys debate and my classmates knew this 
because I really wouldn't back down from a verbal fight. Physical fighting, I, I really tried not to do because I was bigger than most guys and I didn't have to worry about it in that sense. But uh, just because I was bigger than everyone doesn't mean I wouldn't get verbally assaulted. So I became very good at debate, very good at sparring back and forth with words. And they would complain about the music we had to sing. And he would try and sit down with us and talk to us like men and and try and negotiate. Okay, you don't like this song. What do we want to do? We have to sing this. It's required for the class. I need you to do this. How can I work this out with you? And he, he tried so hard to negotiate with us. And I, I just argued with him. I argued for the sake of arguing. And I remember like a defining moment where we started a class and we had left the last class in a hot debate. We came back in the next day and uh, he sat down in front of the class. He's like, okay, Nick, you're the representative. Um, let's, let's talk about this. And then those three to five guys who just caused all the problems were just like, get him, get him, Nick, get him. And I'm just like, oh my God. And then I'm just like, all right, here we go. So I sat down and started, you know, talking through it with him and, there was there was nothing I could say or agree to that would have made it any better. But we we tormented this guy for the better part of two years uh, for those who stuck around. And then it was I mean, it was it was brutal. And I, I swear the guy was with us like through parts of like elementary school. I think I had him as like a sub or maybe even one year there. And I, I almost ended up growing up with this guy musically, which I felt horrible for because, again, my classmates were awful. And I, Brent knows and actually, you know, I knows too. I'm, I'm fairly musically talented, but uh, and, and I wasn't the only one. Of course, there were a lot of talented individuals. The, every every year, our our men's choir under Amit was was fantastic. You know, one of the best in, in the area. But um, I, yeah, that, that was a teacher who looking back, the poor dude tried so hard now. Uh, if he's ever listening to this or if he has family who's listening to this or anyone wants to reference it, I'm sorry, but here's my honest opinion. The guy was a dweeb. You know, he was the guy who shows up <laughs> in his sweater vest and a tie oh, to, oh to work gosh. every day. But but honestly, doing his a, job. A, a dweeb. He's doing his old. job. A, a more <laughs> a more kind hearted man you could not find. OK, 80s. But he was he was a dweeb and it, it just rubbed those three to five the wrong way. And then the rest of us were just sheep. We followed along, and I played an unfortunate part in it. And I, to this day, I've, it it bothers me. And I, I, not enough to call the guy and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry," but I'm bothered, but just not that much. Right, not not enough to do something about it. But when you think back, you just it's one of those regrets. Like if if you could go back and and just shut up and sing the music, um, that would be. Where you just the guy was trying so hard, and you look at teachers because I have I know teachers. I, Brent, your sister's a teacher. Kyle, your wife's a teacher, and these are people who try so hard and, and are not not compensated well, certainly. And they they have to do what they can. Now, my first piece of advice is don't be a dweeb. Try and be a cool teacher, but there's going to be a point in time where where you're going to be a dweeb in some way shape or form whether you've you aged out to be cool a dweeb or or what but yeah i mean you have to wow. fill your role you have to do what you're required to for your job mrs music but... was never a dweeb what's that brent do you remember mrs music passed away unfortunately she did bring bring that down but she had her own tv show so that was pretty cool really how come i never knew this yeah it was it's on PBS. Her own TV show. In elementary yeah, school, the wise, we wow. had this old lady who would come in and be the the uh, sub if we ever needed a sub for music. She'd bring in Mr. Peepers, and we'd sing like all her songs. Like she had her own special songs that we'd always sing. Mr. Peepers is that yep. a pedophile's Mr. name yeah. or what? It just sounded like Mr. Peepers came to town. He came to town. He's a puppet. Hello, Mr. <laughs> Peepers. Peepers came to town. Came, came to town. Came to town. Okay, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I soloed in some music. Did Brent, I know you soloed in church musicals. Uh, what what were your music careers like in high school? Uh, saxophone first. was yeah. our big one. I played saxophone, uh, supposedly not as good as Kyle, because I had to go through freshman band while he got bumped up into the big boy band. Um, I don't know if I missed out or not. Um, in that uh, North, year of North back, senior year, it was called the Men's Choir. You're the big boy. Well, it was, uh, it was like the concert band, and then it was it went freshman, it was freshman band, concert, concert band, and, and then, then symphony. Yeah, symphony yeah, band maybe. 
Oh, I spent I I spent two years in Symphony. So I was I was up in the highest, and I I made all city once, which was something I'm proud of, I guess. I was yeah, an awesome. all city musician for some reason or another. Um, solo ensemble. I got a lot of ones, but never made to state because this wasn't good enough. I guess one no, or two Brent, points off. We made off, it to state in our quartet. Know. Oh, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got carried to state. How's that? <laughs> I was carried to state one time, uh, which was actually that was fun. We played a uh, reg. If time. I may, if I may, Maple Leaf was it One time at band camp. It was not. I never went to band camp. I did no, running camp no, a couple times. No, I never did band camp either. Or once. I just, so, wait, I'll, I'll, Brent, I'll let you finish off. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You you shared the same experience as I did. Yeah, for right. The most so, part. Just uh, a bigger my, saxophone. I guess uh, as, because Brent and I both started saxophone, alto sax in uh, elementary school, they only did sixth grade for us. Like, that's the earliest we would, they had a supporting musical thing for band. I know, I think fourth grade or something, people could do strings if they wanted to, but band support started in sixth grade. We both did alto sax. I mean, alto sax was kind of the only option in uh, elementary school. And then when we got to middle school, we had to do like a mini tryout and they're like, oh, do you want to try, we need a Barry sax, we need tenor sax. Like there's the, the other saxophones. And I was like, oh, the Barry sax, that one looks awesome. It's It's big, it's squiggly, like I want that one. So I went and did the Barry sax. And when I went to the Barry Sachs, like, this is seventh grader. So how old is seventh grade? Like 12, 13? At yeah, that point, the Barry Sachs was way too big for me. So I ended up positioning. Still is. It, it's, yeah, right. It's, still, it's too big for anybody. But uh, I put it, like, between my legs and, like, had to, like, mess up my fingerings from the bottom a little bit. And But, I mean, it was it was not good form, but it actually got me to state in middle school or like state band. Like I tried out for state band. And the one thing they said, they're like, you sound great and whatnot, but start putting that Barry sax off to the side. Like, just get used to it. Stop putting it between your legs. And I was like, okay, like I'm small, but okay. And then obviously seventh, eighth grade, <laughs> pretty big growth spurt years for guys in general. So I, from that point on, I started putting it off to the side as you should. And then got a lot better uh, with, that whole posture thing and they got the right fingerings and whatnot, even though fingerings technically were like, I played everything fine. I just, uh, wasn't the correct form per se. Um, yeah, so I was pretty good, uh, in, uh, high With school. With the advantage too of there's nobody that plays the Barry Sax. Yeah. There's like, helps out. yeah, very small crowd, smaller. I mean, tenor sax is already a, is a fairly small compared to alto sax. And then Barry Sax is just even smaller than that. And the other thing is like Barry Sax, the embouchure you need, like your mouth muscle memory you need for it is apparently a lot more difficult than for the smaller instruments like alto. And apparently mine was really good. I guess for me, it doesn't seem that hard, but uh, I had really good mouth muscles. So the thing that got me and I was, I, at one point, the best tenor in our school but you, then you were. we were doing jazz band our senior year and a lot of these jazz pieces need more tenor saxophones. So then they just started putting like clarinets in there and all of a sudden all these other people started playing tenor sax too. And it, they picked it up pretty quickly because clarinet and saxophone are pretty similar. And that just made me feel bad. I like marginalized what I did. I was like, well, you're not getting another berry sax, you know, like why are you getting more from, am I not enough? Am I not enough? I remember, like, the craziest thing for me is, like, in middle school, I was always told, like, blend in with the band. And then I remember uh, high school, my sophomore year, I got to state, uh, like, honors band, state honors band for Barry Sachs. And they're like, louder, louder, louder. And it is crazy. Kind of like, I think, Nick, a couple episodes ago, or maybe last episode, you're talking about, you know, getting to that next level of stuff and going from being the best per one of the best people in the band where it's like, I can sight read anything to all of a sudden going to a state band where everybody is sight reading hard stuff. It's kind of crazy to like yeah. go to that phase where it's everybody's at the next level. Like I'm no longer the best person in the room or, you know, obviously there's, there's differences between the instruments, but as far as saxophones were considered, I'm like, okay, I'm top two or three for sure in saxophone. And then obviously the best Barry sax. 
And so like, there was only me and one other Barry Sachs. And it's like, it's crazy to like go through and everybody's just sight reading everything like perfectly. And so that, that was kind of like an awakening sophomore year. And then I like, I got to the point where like senior year, our tuba was junk, like crap. Like the, the person that played tuba was not good. So like at certain points, the entire section was, was so being honest, everybody was bad. Yeah, there wasn't. Yeah, Se- senior year, fairly minimal musical skill. Besides, like honestly, the saxophones in general were really good. Obviously, there's some clarinets that were super good. Trumpets were always weak, and then trombone section was good. And then Mark on the uh, the oboe, or not the oboe, or uh, bassoon. Bassoon. Oh my god, our bassoon player was a god. But yeah, I would, had, I, would get, um, I would basically get like three pieces in front of me. I would get trombone. I would get the Barry Sax piece the trombone piece and the tuba piece. And I would just transpose whatever was needed at the time. And I would just transpose it in my head and play it as is. So I, I got pretty good at Barry Sachs. Uh, I can't we sing for a good shit, trombone though. section. No, I played, I played some tenor in college too. And that was fun. Very I kind of wish I was stuck with Barry it a little bit skills. in college. Not, it was um the, the band that was, for everyone who wasn't a music major or in the actual band. So it was, con- it was a concert band, but it was, it was pretty much an easy credit. But it was actually fun to to get in and play some more. The lugging it two miles to band practice and back every day, kind of, or like every week. Kind of. That's the other thing about Barry Sax is they're very expensive. So I just have an alto sax as like my practice instrument. And then I'd always have to use the school Barry Sax. Because they're just crazy expensive, and I wasn't planning on majoring in music, so it didn't make sense to buy one. I kind of wish I had one at one. Seems. All right, um, Brent. Uh, first of all, I'd like to apologize. Uh, so the plan was uh, to come visit Brent this last weekend. However, I ended up so. Google Flights is a great site. It. It's a Google-sponsored site that helps you find really cheap tickets. The problem with the site is it, by default, shows you, like, the cheapest possible tickets in the near future. And if you're not paying attention, you might not notice that that near future isn't this coming weekend, but a couple weekends from now. So, I'll be visiting Brenton in September. Uh, sometime. This September. The 14th. Yeah, I think it's, like, the 14th, 15th. That So, not this weekend, but next weekend is when I'll be visiting Brent. And, uh, yeah, so kind of flopped there on the tickets. However, they are pretty cheap tickets. So, yeah, there's a reason I guess nobody's going. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bummer, but it'll be exciting to see in a few weeks. It'll work out, but, oh, man. All right, Brent, what do you got going on? Uh, going on, we, free agent. No. So, done with the zoo. I can no longer put on our homepage of a website that I work at a zoo, which is a bit of a bummer, but hopefully I can get back. Who knows? Um, other than that, I have been really busy between cross-country practice and applying for jobs and all other logistical stuff I didn't have time to do before. It's full days and everything wraps up soon. Um, quick Sorry, boss. Note though that we didn't get mentioned because Nick interrupted politely, of course. But there's a logo, but also there's a hashtag. So if you follow IFIM Pod, you can get hashtags that are personal podcast hashtags. So get on that. But anyway, um, no, it's been it's been good. The weather has been nice. Summer is still holding on. Surprisingly, I was told summer gets done at the end of Labor Day. Um, once Labor Day is over, it's done. But I think it's been a new heat stroke, like a new heat wave has come, and I've been as hot as I've been pretty much all summer these last few days. Well, Brian, you're so hot. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially outside in the sun, for sure. Um, other than that, not too much, not too much. Just kind of figuring out a new routine, trying to be as productive as possible, and uh, hanging out with Maple a lot. Nice. I think, uh, Nick, you're still uh, in Austin for training. I don't know if we, did we talk about this? Oh, we kind of did. But Nick's back in Austin for training. Well, yes and yes and no. I guess we've talked about it. But 
the real question here, gentlemen, is in, in military history, you went from the phalanx and, and Greek style battles to Roman style armies to the barbarians taking over Rome. And how did we get from that to knights riding horses in small numbers? At what point did the phalanx not become the dominant military strategy? I'm horses just could get, when the horses could get through the phalanx. But they had when, cavalry when the phalanx was dominant. And I'm sorry, long spears versus horses. It, it, it ain't going to work for the horses. <laughs> Well, I think the thing, too, to consider is that the phalanx requires a really high level of discipline and a high level of military training. And if you don't commit to that, you're not going to be able to. Right, but how did things fall apart so so badly that the idea of a phalanx became less common or less efficient than than just armies of a bunch of peons or whatever? what's the right word for them you had the normal folks folks with pitchforks or peasant peasants there we go thank you peons i've played too much world of warcraft uh, or whatever it was uh, but you had peasants and you had knights and you had you know very few knights relatively unless i i mean maybe that's just how it's showed on tv today which is a horrible representation because there were how many knights that theoretically went with the crusades and uh, those were all armored individuals so okay like I've never seen a game or or a, an, what I will perceive as an accurate representation of that part of history because the church probably hides it. But that's my way big conspiracy theory, and I'm just lost as to how things <laughs> fell apart so much in in military history. Like I understand as soon as guns came in, they changed the game, but um, that that whole middle dark ages. Like I get why it's the dark ages, but what what happened? <laughs> But so you I go from the Greek excellent warfare. I, yeah, please. I think the, the the first of all, the Dark Ages was primarily in Europe, and it kind of stayed away from the uh, not Europe, but uh, England. Uh, it was in between the English, uh, I guess, uh, not countries, but the different parts of England. Uh, so I think a lot of that stuff wasn't really, it, you know, it's on an island. They didn't have as much. They weren't necessarily warring with people across in Europe around the Mediterranean. So I'm, I think it was a different like style of combat. If, if you have a certain strategy that works against your region, you're going to continue to use that strategy. You're not, if especially if you don't know what strategies are being used in other regions, because you're not warring with those people. So that might be part of it. The I other part of it is I think that uh, knights in general are definitely like chivalry. That whole thing is way just, uh, influenced Over by media pipes. and lore like I don't, it, it definitely was not as glamorous as uh uh fisher price knights would make you think it to be uh there's definitely there was you know it, it wasn't a that- well, right but where's where's the middle ground so, i think uh, it's the distribution of wealth issue because in greek and roman times i mean yes there were rich people and there were poor people but i think everyone was on a for the most part your your middle class if you will was was far more broad whereas in the dark ages you're either a peasant or you're highly connected to a lord or or someone who has enough money to fund knights and armies i guess i'm not sure accurate I, I, inaccurate i i think in the terms of the the phalanx at least it's you have to be like in order to do it, you have to be very coordinated because if any little bit of it is weak, right, you can just kind of chip away at that part. Um, so I assume it would probably be just to get something simpler that's a little bit more flexible and dynamic. Um, and I don't know, just based off a little reading I've been doing um, in this last five minutes, it just seems to be that like the simpler, uh, more dynamic styles were able to take advantage of it. Um, and depending on terrain too, you know, I think every military operation, you have to best adapt to the conditions. Um, I, it's same with anything. So, if I may, um, you're claiming that it's not unlike the world wars where, or World War One specifically, where instead of charging in waves, attempting to overwhelm an opponent's position, it was more effective to have... Uh, smaller units attempt to attack and disorient and create chaos 
uh, on a smaller scale. It was far more effective to do that than to everyone over over what was oh there was a great terminology from World War One where you hop out of the trench you're going over the top or something yeah and so like, with course, World War One decimated the the plan was for Germany to try to take over quickly the problem is they met with opposition and when they're firing back and forth Blitzkrieg they're, they're digging into cover well Blitzkrieg was really only a term for too. World War Two but basically they didn't have the technology or I guess the ferocity to attack fast like they did in World War II. So they ended up kind of stalemating. And when you stalemate in open ground, you don't want to be in open ground anymore. So they dug in the trenches and then it just stalemated hard from there. And so you had the whole back and forth, blowing the whistle stuff with the trench warfare. Whereas in like World War II, they had tanks, they had a lot more technology to kill people faster and more effectively. Overcome the trenches. They had, you know, they had bombings with airplanes. Uh, you know, they had a lot of more things that kind of, uh, negated the effectiveness of trenches and you're, you're looking more at a, a larger strategy of, okay, where are our people? Where can we do small hits here and there? And, uh, or, or, you know, or like D-Day have a mass assault in one location where they don't, they're not quite as fortified. Uh, they had a lot more ability to attack fast and hard in strategic locations. Whereas in world war one, a lot of the stuff was all like bolt action rifles, you know, not nearly as many fully automatic weapons there were still mortars and whatnot but they're just it wasn't as quite as effective as you know a plane One, bombing in a specific location i think throughout the the history of war what i'm seeing then is initially it was everyone's fighting and everyone's out there and it's mass movements against mass movements and the greater mass movement wins and slowly over time it's developed into more of a precision strike uh, precision strikes being far more effective because you have trench warfare that developed from one mass going against another and then it reached a stalemate to where, yes, you were able to overcome the trench warfare with the technologies, but you still are using more and more precision. And I won't pretend to understand well, they also have modern warfare. I think transportation was a big part of that too. Because like World yeah. War One, they were still using horses to draw stuff most of the time. Like cars weren't really like a a huge thing. Whereas World War Two, you had more like vehicles and cars to bring people around. And then nowadays they have just predator missiles that can bring the missile to wherever it needs to be. They don't need anybody there. Well, so, that's, that's where I was going with modern warfare. We don't need to send, you know, tons of troops. Granted, we still have them. It's more about the precision strikes. It's the drones. It's going in there, sending smaller units to accomplish very specific tasks um, and trying to maintain peace because warfare, um, you know, the involved and everything goes falls out the window. But if you can do a, you know, precision strike that has proven, at least in recent history, as far as I'm aware, far more effective than the threat of the nuclear bomb. Of, I mean, of course, we respect that. But um, the, the precision strikes are, are seemingly, you know, kill the people who are causing the issue specifically and if you can do that and come on just an interesting note I, I i i get stuck on these things from time to time and uh when we were talking about me speaking latin i was going to ask you guys what uh what your favorite part of roman and or greek culture is brent go um i enjoy the philosophy aspect of it not saying i've read a lot i took a class um but a lot of the political groundwork that's now, even followed today was all thought about way back with the Greeks, the Romans as well. And it's impressive to me that those, that tradition can still, you can see parts of it going on even today, even though that was a long time ago. Um, it just goes to hold or show that either uh, people aren't as innovative as we think, and we haven't really changed the ways as much as we'd like to, or that maybe just maybe these ancient cultures were actually onto something. Aliens for sure came and visited. <laughs> no, it's definitely like uh, uh, for me kind of, I mean, kind of because engineering side, definitely that, that engineering back then having the running water from the aqueducts in Rome and just the Colosseum in general, just that type of building is just it very impressive. Same thing, like kind of on par with the, pyramids where these people with very limited tools were able to make 
these very impressive structures. Like nowadays, if you're going to try to design something like that, it would take, you'd be sitting in a design board for years to, you know, get it all figured out. Whereas there, you know, that somebody, some emperor would have an idea and they just start going and kind of figure it out as they went. I, I think is in general, how a lot of these things went, obviously they had an architect get the general idea of things and, but they were just testing it. Like they didn't know for sure. They knew arches, arches are good. Arches are strong, but beyond, beyond that, they, they had no structural analysis tools to make sure it's good. And the Coliseum still standing today. So yeah, it, you know, that kind of stuff is super impressive. And like just the, uh, technological well, and even the, some of the roads are still working today aren't they yeah in all of rome is still the original cobblestone roads there's very yeah, very few like if you go to rome do not bring high heels if you're a, a female or a high heel wearer like <laughs> bring some good footwear like <laughs> it's it's not uh it, it's all cobblestone like the whole, whole thing like everywhere and i asked uh, i asked uh, i'm glad you brought up the architecture go ahead I was saying, I asked some of the locals, like, how do they repair this? Like, if they, if it, if it breaks, do they replace it with concrete and pave it? And like, nope, they'll, they'll, most of the time they just find the stones that popped out and reseal them in with new, um, I don't know what it's called. Like the stuff that goes in between the stones for the cobblestone, like, uh, like cement kind of yeah, stuff, mortar. but it's not cement. Yeah. Mortar, I guess would be a better term, but yeah, they'll find, they'll try to find the stones that popped out and just mortar them back right back in and keep it as is. Uh, going on, on on the lines of the architecture, I had a train of thought I was also kind of pursuing. Um, when you bring up the, the arches and the pyramids and, and great accomplishments that were made for that region of the world, you know, counting Egypt in that general region. Um, where do you think that the Americas were before columbus and of course there's debate whether vikings got there first or you know whatever a couple thousand years hundred years whatever but they didn't last and i i say columbus because columbus also brought with him disease that in turn wiped out um basically decimated the population is 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 what i've learned in my history of of america uh the went like a wave in front of uh, the white people coming from Europe and ultimately decimated the culture and the people. So yeah, it was pretty easy to kind of walk over, you know, the remnants of, of a once thriving culture. But along those same lines, I, I do find it ironic that in Egypt, they had the pyramids and in Central America, the Mayans, they had pyramids. Um, where where does that put if if the white man never showed up via Columbus uh, or, or, you know, they had stayed away even longer than they had. What, what time period relatively does that put the native American culture in? Uh, and what do you think it would have turned out like? Because there's all this, you know, fairy tale, you know, dreamlike thought of, Oh yes, the native Americans were living peacefully and the white man came along and just you know, slaughtered them all. And we deserve that reputation. We did horrible things. We putting myself in, in the shoes of a white man. with fairy I also fairy. would have a hard time saying if I made that they were living. Um, I know well, that's, that's kind of my point. We're one, we're one where they were like, the Aztec mojo was we're going to go take over all of these neighboring groups and they're just, they're going to pay us money. They're going to tribute. So there were definitely, I think there was more war and back and forth going on. It wasn't just uh, everything's hunky dory. We're all one homogenous group. Instead, there were lots of different groups. From Individual war and tribes. So oh. what does that compare to with respect to European culture? If it is comparable, because you have Egypt building pyramids, you have the Mayans building pyramids. The Mayans were a dominant race, race, culture, whatever you want to call it, for, for their area. Okay. Egypt was dominant for a, a long period. Um, so what does that put near the – well, Egypt passed – I guess I don't know Mayan history enough to know whether they were at their height, whether they were still climbing, whether they were in decline. But where does that put the rest of Europe – what was Europe doing when – when Egypt was big, I guess timeline-wise, I'm I'm I don't know where that stands, but I have to imagine it had to have been probably similar to what the Americas, the North America area, was like, while the Mayans were in the south 
building pyramids. I mean, you had defined cultures and tribes, but kind of a state of organized chaos. I mean, you've got family units, uh, but local skirmishes or wars, whatever you want to call them, holding territory. And just interesting for me to think about. Any any speculation on your part? I guess, this is the, if I may, this is the kind of thing that you'd have to almost go and do some research on and bring up the Wikipedias of the timelines of when everything was. I guess if you're going down the path of, like, if we didn't interfere with the Indians, you know, if America, if the white people never came over to the Americas, where would the Indians be today kind of thing? Um, I guess I'm not sure. Obviously, uh, Europe was much more technologically advanced than the Indians were at the time. So I guess it's a matter of, you know, how fast would the, that the Americas, how fast would have the Americas accelerated in technology versus the Europeans, like, is there some point where they'd have a bigger breakthrough and all of a sudden go ahead of the Europeans in technology? But I, it's all speculation, I guess. I think there's, in general, right. this, the the same flow of technology throughout the world of, uh, first we learn how to make, our, you know, Stone Age. First we learn how to make tools. Then we make learn to make tools out of better materials. Then we learn how to farm. You know, there's industrial revolution you find you get you get engines you get machines to do stuff for you like there's a generic flow of technology that almost all civilizations follow the same kind of path and it, i don't know it's hard to speculate where the indians would have been today if there was zero interference i think the mayans from my remembering from history were actually i mean they were already on a slight decline when um the, the the mass immigration to the Americas started, but uh, the right. the definitely was not helped by foreigners coming in and saying I want this land I don't care if it's yours and then That's here's my, a gun to stop it you know. So my question think, valid though is my question valid though with respect to everything we've learned about Europe and the history of of uh, of white culture for lack of a not all white though obviously uh, the, the European culture what what was happening pre I mean what's what's the first thing that happened in European culture that was documented and recognized and I, I what I'm trying to connect there is I'm, I, I think we all agree European culture was far ahead of the American culture native uh, but what, what what was going was, on in your the, 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 the earliest documented period? English I, thing we have is Beowulf. That it's an old English that that's the first signs of English language that we have documented is is Beowulf. But uh, you got to remember yeah. too that uh, the Mayans were around for over for thousands of years honestly as a as a group um that they were able to accomplish Think of the calendar. Um, they developed a calendar based off of astronomy that was accurate up to uh, like 2012 or something like so that. So the 2012 was, thing is literally they just stopped paying it. Like that's as far as they. So there was a huge exactly controversy. Though, like 2012 the world ends. That was literally just fairly arbitrary. I, you have to say that they're on par with Romans, Egyptians. They were, on, as terms of great, um, the great Eastern organizations you have to say they're on par with what they're able to accomplish and it's not like some of these groups um are small that you know the incans the mines the aztecs uh the iroquois up in more of the united states area they had a confederacy of six different nations banging together in a i don't remember if it was a democracy some kind of a confederacy basically an advanced like government form um i i would say that um, because there's so much diversity within these different groups, it's not as linear or simplistic um, as what you might think um, it might be. It's it's a very broad, open question that, you know, you can even think back to, uh, yeah, the Romans might be this advanced down here, but then the Germanic tribes up in the north, were they at the same level? And then there's a lot of influx and it's, it's, it's like apples and oranges, I think, in some ways. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. It's just, it's interesting to think about, and I'm sure there's a rich history somewhere, but I also am skeptical of, of probably anything that I learn with respect to history because it was written by, by somebody 
with a with almost definitely some sort of purpose or slant, and I I tend to keep that in mind when when some history is always written by the victors. As they say, um, history goes to the victor. Um, so whoever is the one writing the history is the one that gets to tell their side of the story. And that's, I think, what makes the, the study of it so interesting is that take a moment and look at the other side as well. You get kind of a really it's, – it's a, it's a mystery in a way. There's a whole – yeah, we see it from this point of view. But if we look at it from this point of view, what actually happened? And the truth always lies somewhere probably in between. I'm going to be kind of interesting. Uh, have either of you read or even part of the whole uh, Hitler's Mein Kampf or whatever? Like the, the famous Hitler book that he wrote? I heard of it, never read it. I, I feel nope. like it's one of those things that'd never be interesting read to read at some point in time. Just to, to have that perspective. Yeah, if you read it from the sake from the sake of or from the perspective of knowing what its purpose was and then still dissecting it for, for what it is or is not. Because even there, like I, I, Hit, I, I'd Hitler's obviously a, a smart guy. Like he, he had a lot of things going for him as far as uh, leadership and whatnot. So th- there's got to be some sort of takeaway, you know. There, it's just a matter of I've never read it, so it, you know, yeah, coming interesting. I guess with that, to, do we want to for yeah, kind of a closing segment? <laughs> do we want to go around and like, is there any book that you'd recommend reading, or uh, something like that? Yes, actually. Um, the the I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, this is a book that is near my heart, and um, you know, it's it's the story that I've been told a great number of times, and it's it's got a simple name. You, you may laugh, but uh, please don't. It's it's called the Three Little Pigs. And <laughs> I okay. can't laugh. I have a serious answer. <laughs> so uh, I, I just. So one of my favorite books, I think in like middle school, high school was Soldier X. So it's actually kind of funny that we were just on this, but Soldier X is a story from the World War II and it's from the perspective of a German soldier who ended up uh, pretending to be Russian instead of in, instead of being captured slash killed. But Soldier X, it's an easy read. It's I would consider it one of the you know teenage level of reading books, uh, but it's a good book. So... I would, I would hit up that one. The other thing I'm reading right now is uh, the graphic novel Bone. I, I read that a uh, long time ago, middle school, high school again. And uh, I, I I recently, uh, my wife is like, oh, I have an e-reader thing I'm not using and you can use it if you want. So I was like, what? You haven't told me about this? So I've been uh, putting book, books on the e-reader and going through them. And so Soldier X was one. And then uh, I'm now reading through the, graphic novel uh bone out from boneville and that that's a that's a fun comic graphic novel i would have to recommend saying county almanac it's the written by elder leopold who is the founding father of wildlife ecology um but it's a really good book if you want to just kind of connect with nature and the outdoors he writes each of them as kind of going through the seasons of a year. He has different chapters. Each chapter is a standalone kind of short story um, of either one of his experiences or one of his thoughts. And the way that it reads is just so personal, um, but has such a powerful message throughout that it's, I think it's a must read. And it's nice because the way it is written, you don't have to read the whole thing at once. You probably will because it's that good. But you could read it in just take off a chapter here, a chapter there. And each one is kind of a standalone phenomenal piece. Um, what was that called again? For sure. A Sand County Almanac. Uh, it's sand? sort of like he wrote it and then he died and then they published it huh. and then it blew up. It's, it's what? A Sand County Almanac? A Sand. Sand County. Because okay. basically what he did was there's this land that he and his family bought just north of Madison. It was a Really, it's in like the Sand County area. Well, it's not called Sand County, but basically all of the soil is sand. And he buys this land and it's basically just like a rundown farm, really crappy land. And what he did was he and his family used it as an experiment of can we, if we care for it and we put together these good practices, um, revive this land. And you can actually come back to it now and see that there's like this beautiful pine forest that 
really, if you like for what that area has, shouldn't have necessarily been there, but um, he was able to kind of rehabilitate the land by using some best practices. And the book talks a little bit about that, among other things, some of his childhood stories and stuff. So, all right, Sand County Almanac. Cool. Good stuff. Well, we can all tell our reading levels. I read comic books and teenage books. Brent reads awesome stuff. And Nick I read reads Three Little Pigs. Um, Which is so. a great story. It really talks about <laughs> the importance of architectural integrity as well as um, being kind and having good forethought. So, good Thank choice. you. Also, I'm a big fan of how to derail Brent and Kyle's podcast by Nick. <laughs> Hashtag military history. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to talk about mastery to the point of slowing th- uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay. Anyhow, that was episode 16 of If I May. Hope everybody enjoyed. Um, uh, feel free to please support us by rate, reviewing, and subscribing. Uh, very important to do all three. You got to rate, review, and subscribe. I, f- I wish there was an R. It doesn't work. If you, don't do, if you don't do all three, it doesn't work. Yeah. If, if you, you do just you one, just, one it, like I'll rate it. I mean, that's okay. Like review it. That That's okay. But when you do all three, that's where it's at. <laughs> it's where the superpowers unlock. Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, if you feel like you want to support us more uh, through Anchor, there's a donation kind of thing we set up. So if if you guys end up wanting to do that, uh, we'll randomly select one person a month to receive a free 3D printed something. Um, so do that if you wish. And then Ooh, 3D printed something, right? 3D print stuff. That's pretty it's sweet. Cool. I, I hope. I hope it's literally the word something in 3D. There you go. So if you want hard. the word something in 3D, you could do that if you wish. <laughs> and then uh, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, feel free to DM us on Twitter at Zarubust. Otherwise, we do have an email, Zarubust at gmail.com. Z-A-R-U-B-U-S-T. Um, just slide into those DMs. Oh, yeah. Just slide, slide them on in. Uh, I think you can also slide do like right a in. voice message with Anchor if you'd rather just, just, just give us oh, a chat and not have Liz. to type stuff because typing is very strenuous if you just want to if you just want to chat with us there, there's a like a voicemail kind of option through anchor you can do that as well 